0: brothers and he was talking with him behold the champion the philistine from gath named goliath was coming up from the army of the philistines and he spoke these same words and david heard them when all the men of israel saw the man they fled from him so remember what we talked about the three responses um there's the uh paralyzed you know the the possum thing where you just freeze there's the flight which is what these guys are doing they see the they see goliath and so they run from him and uh, uh verse 25 the men of Israel said have you seen this man who's coming up surely he's coming up to defy Israel and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel i like that that first part he said they said have you seen this man who's coming up surely he's coming up to defy Israel And so there's an indignation in the people of God. They see what's going on, and they're indignant about it, but again, they're not actually doing anything. And I think, again, that that's what we as believers do. We get indignant about what's going on in the world, and the way that we try to address the problem is we try to legislate against it. We try to make laws, we try to make rules, and we try to kind of legislate the things that we don't like out of our society. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but that's all secondary. The Bible says over and over that the weapons of our warfare are just like Cindy prayed, are divine power divine weapons. And the fight that we fight is not in the physical realm. The fight is not that I the fight that I fight is not with the gay people, the fight that I fight is not with the religious bigots, the fight that I fight is not with corporate America. The fight that we fight is against sin and the principalities that hold people under bondage and under deception, and they're they're ruling in the heavenly places. And see, I think that the problem is, is we get indignant and we feel like we're fighting when we vote against certain things, when we legislate against certain things. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but what you're doing is you're attacking the symptom rather than the disease.
1: That's good.
0: The disease is sin. And the the, uh, author of that disease is Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, again, our focus is in the wrong place, and we're fighting in the wrong place. We're fighting with the wrong weapons, and that's why we're not winning. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in one accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Um, Look in... Verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. And we all know the story. David comes to Saul and Saul puts his armor on him and it doesn't fit. And so basically that's what religion does. Religion says, look, you need to, um, you need to have strobe lights in your worship. You need to have fog machines. You need to have all these things that attract people to come into your church. And, and this is how you're going to win over the world. And this is all Saul's army. All this exterior stuff, all this stuff that's outward, that's an outward show, but it's not a change of the heart, is all Saul's armor, right? And it's not changing the heart. It's not the gospel. And the thing is, is we shy so hard away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible calls it a scandal on The gospel is scandalous. The gospel is painful. I saw something on uh, Facebook about a week ago about uh, uh, some guy was carrying his cross, going, people telling telling people about Jesus and carrying his cross with him, and his cross had wheels on the back of it and things. And you know, I mean, I understand that. I get that. If you're carrying this heavy piece of wood, you know, sure, it's nice to have wheels on it and things like that. But I think that also, in a way, it's kind of a picture of the church today. What we want is we want the cross with a nice ca- cushion and the nice padded seat on it. We want the cross with the air conditioner. I want the cross with the, with the name plate to be made from Rolex, you know, and things like that. We want the cross with the Hemi engine in it and stuff. And basically we want these nice, comfortable, cushy crosses and stuff. And that's what we're selling to the world too. Hey, you want this 19, you know, this uh, 2017 cross, you know, it's got all the latest features and, and everything. And stuff. instead of like, here's a cross, you come to this, you're going to (laughs) die. And it's going to put to death everything that's in you and what you are today. You will not be anymore because that will die. Hmm. And this is the cross and this is the thing. And this is from Genesis to Revelation, you see it throughout the entire Bible, that thread that's running kind of underneath the surface sometimes. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's right there in your face. But sometimes it's just there kind of underneath the surface. But it's all the way from Genesis to Revelation is that there is a cross. And it's a real cross. And it's, a, it's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of, of, of dying to, to yourself and the things that you desire. And it's an instrument of picking it up daily and following the Lord. Um, in verse... Um, <clears throat> Verse 33, Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight fight with him for your but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And this is a progression that the Lord takes us on too. Okay, you may have a calling, you may have a gift from God, you may have callings and things, and what God does is he begins to, as you begin to step out, he begins to take you along a path where you begin to exercise those gifts. Maybe your gift is is laying hands on people and healing them. Maybe your gift is prophesying, but generally speaking, you're not going to go overnight from someone that's, that's never exercised a gift to someone that's like, you know, just prophesying before thousands of people. Usually God takes you, and that's that's God's mercy on us, right? God trains us like his children. God develops us. He grows us, and he strengthens us, and he... he um he, he takes us from, um, from, um, from circumstance to circumstance. He doesn't just throw us in the deep end and say, go get him. And even with David, I mean, we read the story about David and Goliath and sometimes that's all we see. We see just David stepping out of, of, of the middle of nothing. The, there's no existence of David. Then all of a sudden David is and he's facing Goliath. Well, before he ever faced Goliath, he faced the lions and he faced the bears. He faced the smaller things. And that's what God does with us. He gives us smaller things, and he brings us along, and he teaches, just like, a, I'm not sure which psalm it is, but it says, he trains my hands to war. And God will lead us on that progression. So again, if you are not in the place where you're killing Goliath today, I mean, don't be condemned about it, because God is taking you along that path, right? Mm-hmm. And with each battle that you win, each battle that you, that you uh, every, every enemy that you overcome then God will take you to bigger ones uh-huh, right uh-huh. and you know so that's God's way with us, and that's uh-huh. God's training um and so again, we all know the story and and so David goes out and he, cl- he kills the Philistine and in verse um verse fifty two uh says the men of oh oh verse fifty one then David ran after he killed the Philistine and he killed he stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath. And killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You see that? So there's the third part. They're fleeing for their lives. And so again, these are examples of fear. So now what we're talking about is we're talking about, remember we started out that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now again, what that's not talking about is it's not talking about we as believers have to take our Christianity by force. It means that there are enemies that we are confronting. Just like the Bible says, um, the gates of hell will not overcome us. Um, The gates of hell... Are not something that come at us. Gates do not approach an army, right? An army approaches the gates. So when he says that the gates of hell will not overcome you, he's not saying that the gates of hell will not chase you down and overcome you. That's talking about when you go to the gates of hell and you're assaulting the gates of hell, then they won't overcome you. Does that make sense? Or does that just sound kind of weird? And uh yeah, so the the, the the Bible says that the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. God is looking for people like David that are going to not just sit back when we see things happening. And again, this doesn't... The weapons that we're talking about are, are warfare, prayer, worship, seeking God. Because, you know, it's, it's like that shirt that you have that says, but pray first, right? Our solution to everything is like, well... I'm going to go Fight tell it. everybody about it or I'm going to, you know, legislate against it. And we, prayer is always like the last thing that we do. And, that, and the thing is, is that we've got it backwards. Prayer should be the first thing that we do. It should be the thing that we're doing all through it. And it should be the thing that we end it with is through prayer. I mean, that's why the Bible says praying always in the spirit. And the problem is, is again, we try to attack through the weapons of the flesh and take the weapons of the flesh and conquer a spiritual enemy and it's never, it's never going to happen that way. Because the thing is, it's just like the Bible was talking about the Old Testament law, there is not a law, there is not a law that can change a man's heart. There is no law ever been made that will change a man's heart. All the law does is keep people in check, Right? People obey the law if they see a cop. You know, if you see a cop behind you, you're going to do the speed limit, right? And so people obey laws whenever they know that there's punishment involved. But but Christianity sets you free from all of that. And now it's not, we're not obeying laws. Now it's not, and that's, I think, the problem with us as believers is we're like, we we get so conditioned to like I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this and I can't do this. Well, it's, okay, those are all the things that we can't do. But what can you do? You know, what are what what are you allowed to do? Because essentially, you you know you can do a lot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think of all the people that you know that you've read about or that you've heard about that have ever done great things for God. I don't think in most cases, in some cases possibly, but in most cases God didn't open the heavens to where the light's streaming down and you hear the angels, "Ah," you know, and child of God, follow me and do this, you know. That doesn't generally happen with most of us. Most of us get things on our heart and things burn in our heart and we're like, God, how can, how can this go on? And you know what? And here's the thing too, like so many of us look at situations and we're like, God, how can you let this go on? And God looks at us and he says, how can you let this go on? What are you doing to stop this? I mean, look at Mother Teresa. I mean, she was a Catholic, you know, I mean... Look at all the things that she's done for for just street people in India. I mean, look at I mean, look at what Jeremy's done just with Freedom House. I mean, this started in his living room with a with a desire in his heart. And so that's the way that God, I mean, if we're waiting for God to open the heavens and say this is what I want you to do, it's probably never going to happen. But you know what? Every one of us has certain personalities. Certain things that we're drawn to, certain things that we're not drawn to, certain things that we, we are indignant about, right? Certain things that we read about or we hear about kind of kind of kind of poke at our indignancy and things. And this is the areas where you start checking. God, is this what you're trying to speak to me? Is this where you're trying to get me to go? You know what I'm saying?
2: With things you've handled before. That you know how to handle it because with it the lion and the bear. The person in the room has a clue because mm-hmm. they haven't dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you just know that you're the right person to be.
3: sometimes. hmm You mm-hmm. just know mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of who you are and everything. You're mm-hmm. your experiences,
2: dealt, yeah. Yeah, and,
0: some, and that's because that's how you're built. That's right. how God has wired you.
2: All the training, you, but. like what you were talking about before, you know, just how you don't become something overnight that, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you know, not only is there not a light flashing, but half the time the next day is a mundane day. Uh, exactly. Mundane day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like Elijah, you know, he's playing for his life depress mm-hmm. after, you know, the, mm-hmm. the huge miracle of the fire and everything.
3: Mm-hmm. And Good point. So, mm-hmm. Because then you go, wait, didn't you just, like, come to me in a vision yesterday? Well, and that's <laughs> a thing, too. Can't, can't I just that quit my job today?
2: To you <laughs> the
1: next that's great. Well, and that's you know, what happens, too. Has a clue, no, yeah. yeah.
2: Everything goes they wrong. They wouldn't understand it if you tried to explain exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> that's good, Christy.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, you'll you'll step out and do something, and if you have some victory at it, believe me. The powers of darkness the enemies see that right mm-hmm. if there if something happens in the spiritual realm the the enemy knows it
1: mm-hmm. so
0: if there is an effect if there is something Even that it uh, no matter how small it is there's yeah. a ripple effect and that's the thing the enemy will just like we saw last week that uh, those who turn aside from unrighteousness make themselves a prey anytime and uh, you know as as believers if we do have times and seasons where things go great and you know everything's wonderful and stuff like that. But if that's your whole experience, then sometimes we need to check and say is there something wrong here? Because again, if if I'm not if I'm not stirring up something somewhere, then then I'm like something's wrong. Because and again, the 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 more you stir stuff up, the more you know, the more the more you're going to deal with. It. And I think too, and I know pers- from personal experience, sometimes we have actually backed off from things that God has called us to do because the fire got hot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, you know, we got we to take a break, you know, and stuff. And, and uh, you know, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but, you know, once you've taken your break, get back in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 just going to kind of look at who David was in 1st Samuel 16 verse 14 because it's really unfortunate to me that there's no guys there because <laughs> um yeah a lot of this is directed towards guys but in verse 14 we
2: don't know any guys <laughs> tonight so it's all on you
0: verse 14 so now basically we know that david was skilled he was anointed to, to worship god and so we know that when saul turned away from god the bible says god sent a an evil spirit to torment him and in verse 14 it says now the spirit of the lord departed from saul and an evil spirit from the lord terrorized him and saul's servants then said to him behold now an evil spirit from god is terrorizing you Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you, let them seek a man who's who's a skillful player on the harp, and it will come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he will play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. In verse 23, So it came about that whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Turn to another place in Second Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23 says, Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares. The man who was raised on high declares. The anointed of the God of Jacob. Look what he calls himself. And the sweet psalmist of Israel. So, like we look at David and pretty much all we can see, all we can think about is how he killed Goliath. right? But he... I mean, the Bible says that he was a man that was anointed to worship God to such an extent to where it would drive out demon spirits. Oh, yeah. And he, instead of referring to him, this is on his deathbed in, in 2 Samuel 23. This is basically the last words of David. And instead of re- referring to himself as, here I am, David, the man who killed Goliath, he said the sweet, he called himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. and so, And the thing is, 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 I believe that a lot of men in the church, if not most men in the church, have been uh, programmed to think as the world thinks, right? We think that a man is somebody that drinks beer and watches football and, you know, and, and things like that. And you, know, you look at the life of David. David was every bit a man. He was a warrior. But at the same time, he was a poet. At the same time, he was someone that loved to worship the Lord. At the same time, he was someone that was not afraid to show his emotions in uh-huh. public. He was not afraid to weep uh-huh. in public. Or dance. <laughs> and he was a man after God's own heart, uh-huh. which doesn't mean that, that he was someone that loved God with all of his heart. He did, but also, and as part of, it does mean that, but it also at the same time means that God loved him with all of his heart. Mm-hmm. They had a special bond a special relationship and the thing the problem is is that uh I think a lot of men in the church today are afraid to be vulnerable a lot of men think that this is what a man is a man is someone that you know doesn't you know that doesn't show his emotions he's the John Wayne type thing <laughs> and, and you know what and and it hurts the church mm-hmm. because men have to be you can't i i truly believe that you can't be a true warrior unless you're someone that feels deeply, right? Because you can't really fight for a cause. I mean, you can take a weapon in your hand and go out on a battlefield, but you cannot truly fight for a cause unless you truly believe in it. And again, I think a large part of what's wrong with the church today is that the men are not leading Because the men are not fighting for the cause because the men are concerned with watching football or concerned with going out and drinking beer with the guys or looking a certain way or acting a certain way or being a certain way rather than to allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and break their hearts, break who they are, break their conceptions of themselves, and more importantly, break their conceptions of what other people are going to think of them and so because of that i believe that the church is stunned because i believe this is what i believe i believe men and women are equal right but i believe that they're just like in the trinity in the trinity there is a hierarchy right i mean jesus said i do what the father tells me to do but we know that there's no hierarchy as as far as in pecking order right There's no, like, God is above Jesus and Jesus is above the Holy Spirit. There's none of that at all. But yet Jesus said, I do only what the Father tells me to do. So Jesus humbled himself and obeyed, and there's there's a leadership in in the Trinity. I believe in the same way that there's a leadership and that men are supposed to lead, right? Which is not to say that women don't lead at times, right? Even like in any family i don't care if the man is the most staunch like man leads type person there's still going to be areas where the woman leads because there are areas of expertise and there's been plenty of areas in the bible where there's women prophetesses there's you know the uh, deborah led the armies of god jael actually killed sisera and defeated uh, the enemy captain um so there, are they Women do have authority. Women have leadership roles. But I believe that there's something that God has called men to do. Okay? I, don't, I hope that doesn't sound bad or anything. But I, I do believe that there is a role that men are created to fulfill. And because men are not fulfilling that role, men are not stepping out in that area, I believe that the church is really stunted right now. And I think that to a large degree, that's where a lot of the problem lies. I'm
3: gonna and, pause you for one
0: second. You know, and the thing is is like even some of the guys that we look at that you know, the biggest, baddest, most muscular guys and stuff like that, and we look at them and, and the people with the shortest tempers and stuff and they're like, ah, that's a man right there, and <laughs> stuff like that. And you know what? A lot of those people are the way that they are because of fear. Because a lot of them a lot mm-hmm. of them have, have you know, either the way that they were raised or whatever, and so they develop this outward appearance. Because they're afraid, and these people that that react and, and they snap at you and, and things like that i mean I, I i've known people well i'm sure we all have, but like I know i'm thinking of one- person in particular that I used to work with, and essentially you couldn't even talk to him for the first hour or two at work because <laughs> I mean the dude would just bite your head off and stuff like that, and I think of that, and you know what when I was a kid i had a, i me and my brother had an opportunity to adopt some dogs and stuff and, and my brother picked one and and I picked the worst one there. This this dog was was had serious problems. I mean he was really, really vicious. No one could get near him. No one could touch him or anything. But I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take that dog and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna love him and change him and stuff like that. And and so I did and it didn't work. <laughs> I mean I did everything I could do. I would feed him and I would talk nice to him and stuff and and uh and nothing that I did worked. And the problem is is that that dog had been damaged to the point to where it just it couldn't be fixed. And a lot if it, it is my firm belief that a lot of the people that are like that while they appear like they're tough on the outside they may have huge muscles and, you know, all that, and they look like they're tough on the outside and they're, you know, and they're, you know, they stand out in the crowd and things like that. But inwardly, a lot of those people are operating through fear. And it's, 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 it's just an outward appearance. And the thing is, is this, these, personal, these people will be the first people that if something doesn't go the way that they want it to go, I'm out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that this is being tough Whereas someone else will sit there and go through whatever it takes to, to do what needs to be done. That's the tough person, right? There are people that are morally tough. I, I think of the Apostle Paul. I think, I think that if, if, if we met Paul today, I think that we, he would look like a nerd. And that he would, his personality would be like that. Because even he himself said my speech is contemptible and you know, something Nothing about my appearance yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And you know, we read that like, oh, Paul, you you just you know. I think Samson I think Samson was probably like a ninety eight pound weekly. Because the Bible is filled with stories of God taking ordinarily ordinary men and women and doing extraordinary things through them. He took people all the time where we're Like even David himself, you know, Samuel, the prophet, Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, like looks at David and he's like, no, this surely can't be the guy. And God's like, don't look at outward appearances. And that's what we do. And that's what our society does. We look at the outward appearance and say, ooh, that's the guy right there. That's that's the person right there. And yet they may have no moral courage at all, right? It's like the people that were the, the people in the armies of Israel, all these warriors, even Saul. The Bible says Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Why was Saul not going out and facing Goliath? Amen. <laughs> I mean, if anybody should have been facing Goliath, it should have been Saul. He was the king of Israel. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And the only one in that whole entire army that had the courage to face. Goliath was not someone that looked all bold and and strong and mighty in his uniform and in his 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 uh, weapons and in his armor. It was just a shepherd. He was an old over with lots of wisdom. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just the mm-hmm.
1: young And
0: so again, we we you know a lot of us I believe a lot of it, and I think that there's a lot of pressure. Just like on women, there's this pressure to be beautiful and and weigh 98 pounds and stuff like that. Well, on men. There's this pressure to be a certain way, but I believe that God wants men, when they get saved, to lay that stuff aside and say, it's not about trying to impress people. It's not about trying to live, I mean, even the guys at DFH, I love those guys and stuff like that, but it's like, dude, your 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 identity is not... In going and, and, and there's nothing wrong with working out there's nothing wrong with lifting weights and stuff like that but that's not your identity right and that's not who you are your identity is to be a servant of all your identity is not to to lead people and to sh- you know show them how tough you are or how strong you are your identity is to lift them up all right uh turn to James chapter 4
3: that we are ourselves gym buffs, so you're not saying it's yeah, wrong
0: right. No. Okay. I'm just saying <laughs> like, am that I getting
3: trouble? Like just, wait a minute.
0: It's just it's just like it's just like owning things. There's nothing wrong with owning things that, like we talked about earlier. You know, everyone has to have houses and cars and there's nothing wrong with even having something nice, but does it have you? Is the question. Okay. Where is your heart? I mean, is this I mean, you know, and where is your identity? Your uh, our identity is not to be wrapped up in those things. Our identity is to be wrapped up in Christ,
1: right? Right.
0: And my spirit, my strength is to be a spiritual strength first and foremost,
1: right. and then
0: other than that, whatever else is, you know, whatever and stuff. But the main, and the problem is, is the problem is, is that we are not strengthening ourselves spiritually. Yeah. We're strengthening our strengthening ourselves physically but we're not strengthening ourselves physically, spiritually which again is why there's not a ton of guys here and it's a shame There's this place should, not this place per se but Bible studies should be filled with guys seeking the Lord, guys on their knees, guys weeping before the Lord, guys not afraid to show that how they love God and uh, you know you in any revival any revival in the past has been uh been a return of men like even the revival in wales in 1904 i think it was all these all these rough tough coal miners just singing their hearts out to the lord and just singing worshiping god because they loved him and stuff and they even started having having worship services in the coal mines and these are These are guys that work with picks and sledgehammers and just hard, hard work, strong, tough guys. And these are guys that were just weeping before the Lord and seeking God with all their hearts. And the Bible, er, not the Bible, (laughs) but history says that like after all these coal miners started getting saved... The horses didn't know how to, because back in those days it was the horses that drove the wagons and things like that and they'd load the, the wagons full of coal and the horses would take them out. And the horse, horses got to where they didn't understand the languages of the coal miners because the coal miners were rid saved and they were no longer cussing at the horses so the horses didn't know what they were supposed to do. <laughs> and so this is transformation, right? This is, and this is tough, strong people giving their lives to the Lord and allowing the cross to change them from the inside.
3: I just want to say, though, about the revival in Wells, just to encourage you women, is the revival in Wells was an amazing revival, but it was started by, the women started it essentially by singing and getting all these four, I think it was four girls, they started worshiping in this prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit would come down every time they would start singing and So, in a sense, it was kind of started by the women, and then it transferred to the men. And so, God can use whoever is willing to be used, and he did use Deborah, and he did bring victory through Deborah. So, we don't have to be discouraged, you know, because God can still use the women to bring the men Yeah. Around. Yeah, so, so
0: but yeah, please don't understand that. Man, God if you guys are hungry, God will use you. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't Amen. matter if you're male or female or, or anything. And in James four verse one Talk about some of the strife in the body. It says What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. So you, you are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not be, have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Look at this. He says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture speaks to an old purpose? He jealously desires a spirit which is made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And look at this verse right here, because we always quote it, but then we always forget that it's in reference to the fact of not not fighting and quarreling and having strife among yourselves. Verse 7, he says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you.
3: And do not speak against one another, brethren. He who hmm. speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. That's
0: good. Um, turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. And so again, he says, the source of your fighting, the source of your quarrels, is it because you lust and you can't have? You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives and stuff. And again, this, this is rampant in the body of Christ. This is rampant. It happens every day. People fighting against people, elders fighting against elders, pastors fighting against pastors, churches fighting against churches, denominations fighting against denominations. It happens every single day. And a lot of it, 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 it comes down to it's because you're not getting what you want. You're not getting your, your pride, your ego stoked. Whatever it is, you're not getting what you want, so you go out and fight against your brother. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lover of pl- lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at this in verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, the, although they have denied its power. And he says, avoid such men as these. So we're not talking about people in the world. Because it says these people are holding to a form of godliness. In other words, they're going to church, they're looking religious, they're doing the religious thing, they're dressing up on Sundays, and they're putting on the smile. But it says these people, they're unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. And again, this stuff goes on all the time. And you know, the thing is, is we look at things and we're like, you know, God hates homosexuality. And God does, but he also hates malicious, malicious gossip. You know, he hates pride. He hates it when we, we we fight and bicker about stupid things that don't matter. And God, God, it, it grieves the heart of God. And God is wondering when we're going to wake up, when we're going to deal with this kind of stuff. Um, look in Proverbs chapter 18. And so these are the enemy. These are the things that God wants us to fight. And you know, the Bible says that judgment begins with the house of God first. God's desire is to cleanse his house. He wants a bride that's pure, without spotless or blemish or any such thing. And we're talking about the world. We're talking about the the, the evils of the world, the homosexuals, the, you know, all these, the, the Democrats and... You know, all these evil people. And yes, there is evil in the world, but it starts, righteousness starts with the church. And then it spreads out from there. And when we as the believers, when we as the body of Christ, when we start cleaning our own laundry and we start getting our own house in order, then I believe that's when it's going to affect the world. Because the thing is, is God's like going, why would I want people to go fill churches right now? If this is the way churches are, why why do we need the churches to be filled? What we need is a reformation. We need a revival. And a revival is not something that you plan. We're going to have a revival in three weeks and, you know, we're just going to do all this stuff. A revival is when the Holy Spirit comes down and people are getting slain on their face and people are repenting of their sins and people are getting out the junk in their lives and they're getting right with God. That's a revival. I mean, it's not enough for us to talk about revival, plan revival, whatever and stuff. Revival is when the Holy Spirit comes down and cleans house. Mm-hmm. And in order for that to happen, we have to be a people that are willing and saying, Lord, come. Lord, yeah. we are willing to go through the fire. We're willing to go through the flames. We're willing to go through the process and allow you to cleanse us and to purify us. And then Proverbs 18, verse 19 Look at this. You're right. Wrong. You got it right.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. A brother oh, okay. offended. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A brother, I was looking at it, verse 18. It says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips, and then it slides into verse 21 that we know so well. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You see that? Look at and again in verse nineteen, he says, "A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city." And again, there are people that 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 fall out all the time, brothers, for whom Christ died, and God and and this is the witness that we are we are spreading to the world. Look at First Corinthians chapter thirteen, because as we begin to study the Word, as we're getting deeper and deeper into the Word. The purpose of learning the Word, the purpose of learning more about God and studying His Word is not to get more head knowledge and to be puffed up, but the purpose of learning God's Word is to draw closer to Him and to become to become more like Him and to have more of Him fill us, right? And in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but, not, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Mm -hmm. Because God is all about love and we as the body of Christ need to be about love. It's not about. It's not about all. It's not to be even about our healing crusades and all the things that we are doing for God. It's not about our we're going to clean this city up, or it's not about we're going to get we're going to put people that love God into office, and they're going to legislate, and they're going to make laws, and they're going to make rules. It's not about that at all. It's about us showing the love of God to a lost, dying world. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to be nice. God didn't save us just so that we could be nice people. I mean, God does want us to be kind-hearted and tender, loving one another. But Jesus loved the Pharisees with all of his heart. But he told them straight to their face what the truth was. And he didn't back down off the truth. And he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't, he didn't give it to them softly. He told them, you're a brood of vipers. And his whole desire was that Dean, hopefully the lights would come on.
2: I always have harshest words for those, that, you know, the leadership. Um, to me, when I see homosexuals or those, you know, outside the church, I don't even think they have the ability to change if they wanted to. That's really good. So they have to have the gospel. They need the gospel, they, they need to understand what God is. Yeah. And if you look at drug addiction, or porn, or homosexuality, or any of those things, at the basic core is someone who is horribly unloved, that yeah. deeply wants to be understood and loved. Mm-hmm. And so yelling and screaming is the opposite of what they need. Now yeah. somebody in the church... That's claiming to know God and leading people astray within the church that's your Pharisees and you know and you have to be more harsh with them if they're leading the people of God astray Mm -hmm. but the people who don't even know God they don't even have a basis to understand you or a reason to change they will receive their punishment in full if they don't come to understand the gospel they are going to hell they will be punished so why punish them any further just give them the love of
0: that's, that's a really good point And that's the thing that we, What we're doing is When we're trying to legislate The laws in our country To be a certain way We're trying to force sinners To live the way that we live And basically again We're trying to get them To change what they're doing But without the heart change And, and we're expecting sinners <clears throat> To live as believers But they're not believers you know? And so again the, the goal, the purpose should be That, <laughs> that they get saved Because, you know, the Bible says you can't can't do the things of God. You can't understand the things of God without the Holy Spirit. So
3: I want to say something. Um, This scripture means a lot to me, and I just want to talk about it a little bit more. But um, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, yet I don't have love, I have nothing. And um, it means a lot to me because God has convicted me with it a lot. And then I've seen friendships because these things weren't acknowledged this this wasn't followed and so i i think it's really important like the lord has shown me different times like where over the years I, i might get frustrated with with a brother or sister in the lord who seems so ignorant of the word and i'll get frustrated and i'll get angry with them because they've been a christian for 10 years and they still don't know the basics of the word and i i have this tendency to kind of get really frustrated and angry sometimes and and God really had me meditate on this scripture a lot one time and just say you know the love is the greater thing and and you've got to not allow yourself to be arrogant against your brother and sisters in the Lord and so God has used this to convict me and I just want to say that I Ruth you were a great example of demonstrating this to me the other day when when we got together and I I just was able to share my heart with Ruth and Where I was feeling vulnerable and where I, and I'm, it was just cool to be able to say to you, I don't know if I'm right, you know, I don't know if this is the Lord or I'm in my flesh or I don't know if I, if I, it meant so much to me for you to love me even though in a way at first we didn't really even agree with each other on what we were talking about and, and, and that's what Christian brotherhood and sisterhood is, is that we are not always going to agree with each other. And I love you guys so much, and oh, I, 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 it wasn't,
1: it wasn't,
3: me. it that wasn't was, that, we it were wasn't were. that, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but, but I mean, I've had relationships before where, you know, that, that can start an argument, or that can start this, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be around Amy anymore because, you know, whatever, you know, I, there's been things like years ago where we had a disagreement with a friend of ours, a close friends, on end-time theology, Our end-time theology was different, you know, and then they didn't want to speak to us anymore after that, you know, and it's just like, and we were really close friends, so it's just, it's just like how we have to focus on the basics, and we have to focus on our love for each other, and if we get too focused on the knowledge, and we make that the more important thing, it's not that knowledge is bad, because knowledge is good, and wisdom is good, and and I'm thankful that Dean is teaching us, and there is a lot of wisdom, and I'm thankful that Jeremy teaches us, and everybody teaches us, but ultimately... We we have to have love as our core for one another. And, um, you know, I mean, if you guys go off Satan worshipping, we're going to have a talk. But, I mean, I know you guys love the Lord. So, if you guys, if we don't always agree, we can still walk together. Because we agree on the most important things. And that is loving God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and truth. you know. So, anyway, I just, yeah. I think strife begins when we start getting kind of arrogant. And I think pastors who fight and churches who fight is because people start getting arrogant you know like and like even I'm not a Baptist but I see good things in the Baptist church and I see good things in the Baptist church that charismatic churches don't have and vice versa so instead of us like bickering with the Baptist church why don't we like see the good that they have and our Baptist friends that we maybe we work with that hey you know because they have some really good qualities they're very evangelistic they're very hardcore in the word you know but they don't believe in the gift of the Spirit. Well, okay, so love them anyway. So be their friend anyway. And maybe by knowing you and being in relationship with you, eventually maybe you guys can rub off on each other. And, you know, it's just, it grieves my heart when we start bickering over things just because we, in our arrogance, think that we have it all wired and all the knowledge and we can't receive from one another. And so and,
0: and the thing is is I I believe that there are fundamentals, right? I believe that there are certain things that make the Christian church the Christian church. We believe in the Trinity, right? We believe Father and Son and the Holy Ghost equal but separate and all that. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. You know, these are things that we believe and they're non-negotiable, right? But outside of that, there is such a wide area that you know, we it's so funny because we're all so free to admit that we don't know everything, but yet we'll fight to the death over things that we don't even truly understand, you know. There are things that don't even matter. I mean, there are, again, there are things that do matter. I mean, the virgin birth, those things matter. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, those things are important. They matter. They mean stuff, but outside of that you know your views on on the end times whatever Or you the know, women thing care.
3: or the divorce thing yeah or you the... know
0: i mean we have our views on it but it's certainly not anything that we will split over and that's the thing that's the tactic of the enemy the yeah. bible says in john ten ten, the enemy comes to steal to kill and destroy um and uh the thing is is there a power when believers come together yeah. uh, turn to chapter leviticus 26 And that's the problem. And this is the thing that the enemy fights against is that there is a power when two or three believers gather together. And in Leviticus chapter 26, I'll let you guys... And so, and the thing is, is the enemy fights tooth and nail against that. The enemy, one of the greatest tactics in, 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 sure. with the enemy in the church is division. Mm-hmm. Same thing with marriage, division.
1: Mm-hmm. Same
0: thing with any kind of Christian relationship. If you have a Christian relationship that's strong, that mm-hmm. builds you up, that edifies you, Satan's going to try, try to destroy, destroy that. it. That's right. I mean, that's what he does because he is afraid of that. Yeah. In Leviticus uh, 26 verse 3. Now, look at this. It says, if. Now, Bible 101. Anytime you see an if, a therefore, a but, these are all words that are very important.
3: They're conditional words. I look at
0: these (laughs) words very importantly because they are meant to, uh, to be very important. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out then I will give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. In other words, you'll be fruitful, right? For those of us in the New Testament. It said, you will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I will also grant peace in the land, so that you will lie down with no one making you tremble. I will eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they, will fall by, and they will fall before you by the sword. Look at this in verse 8. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. You see that? So there's, when believers get together, there's a multiplication of power. Turn to Matthew chapter 18.
3: And Satan knows that.
0: Matthew chapter 18.
3: I've never thought about it that way, that Satan knows that, so that's part of his motivation for trying to divide.
0: The enemy has been around since before we have. Satan was around before Adam and Eve were created. Satan fell from heaven before Adam and Eve were created. So Satan's had a long time to think about things and to work on things. And you should know by looking at your life, Satan obviously knows how to attack you, right? I mean, he doesn't... Like, if, if you're someone whose weakness is alcohol, how's he going to attack you? He's going to attack you through a friend saying, hey, let's go to the bar, right? If, you're, if your weakness is drugs, he's going to bring a friend that you haven't seen in forever and say, hey, I just scored some stuff, right? If you're into porn, he's going to, like, a, a pop up's going to happen on your computer. So the enemy knows how to attack you. And in Matthew 18, verse 15 Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. He doesn't say, go and expose him before everybody else. He says, if your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, then take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And just like you say, Christy, this almost never happens in church. Church discipline does not happen anymore, not biblically anyway. Usually what happens, somebody finds out something, takes it to an elder, that elder takes it to the pastors, and before you know it, like, you know, you're, you're being exposed before everybody.
2: Yeah, and it's not even true most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> because, the, you know,
0: the whole grapevine thing. Yeah, it, okay. So we're, we're in Matthew chapter 18, if, if you've got your Bible. But basically we're just talking about strife and division in the church. Oh, yes. And so, and so in, in verse 15, it says, Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Look at this in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And again, this is a verse that we always kind of isolate, and we, we quote this scripture, but it's this is in context with, with all that that we just read. Verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything, that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father as in, who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So, I mean, it's not important for, for the sake of our study that it's talking about church discipline, but that's what that scripture is about. It's about church discipline. But the point that I wanted to make is that where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord, there's a power there. Mm-hmm. There's an authority. Whenever two, whenever, two, And I believe that whenever, whenever believers come together in unity, and in one mind and in one accord, then God is in there in power and in ability, and that's and the enemy knows that, so he fights against that. And the enemy does everything that he can do to to uh, destroy that kind of unity. Uh, turn to Psalm chapter one thirty three. Psalm 133 in verse 1 It says behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes it's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon Mount, upon the mountains of Zion Look at this and look at this it says for there the Lord commanded the blessing Life forever. So you see in verse 2, the number one, when brothers dwell together in unity, number one, there's an anointing there. Mm-hmm. It says it comes down like precious oil. And uh, one thing that I like about when you read the Old Testament, when they, whenever they would anoint someone, I mean, what, what we do is we take our finger and we do like a little cross on their head and that's great and everything. But what they did is they would take like a, a jug of oil and they'd pour it on your head and you'd have all this oil just like pouring off of you and stuff yeah (laughs) you know and and so and that's that was that's anointing right Mm -hmm. you know and and so it says when brethren dwell together that that kind of anointing is there and not only is there that kind of anointing it says that the lord in that kind of a situation god actually doesn't just uh kind of passively allow it but it says he commands a blessing And so, of course, the enemy's going to fight against something like that. When he knows that, like, when brothers get together in unity and there's a true unity, and I don't mean this kind of unity where we're just kind of an ecumenical type thing where we just get together for the sake of, you know, being together with our brothers. I mean, when you're gathered together with one mind, one heart, and one accord, there is a power in that. And that is something that the, the enemy is afraid of, and it terrifies the enemy because there's a power there and uh so so again we as believers that should be something that we strive for that's something that we should be to to always be seeking to try to try to accomplish um and i and so while we're on the subject i want to talk a little bit about communion now communion is something like if you guys want to do that that's completely in your ball right Or completely in your court, because again, this is your thing. If y'all got, if you guys want to do communion, we're we're perfectly fine with that. The only thing we say, maybe do tortillas or you know something that's not very messy and stuff like that. But the thing about communion is, is I believe that we as the church take communion so lightly. Um, Turn to First Corinthians chapter twelve or chapter eleven. Look, think about the root word of uh, communion. What, what is the root of communion? Community. There, there's community. There's the word common. <clears throat> right? There's a commonality. Um, yeah, uh, communication. These are all in that same root word of, of communion. And so when we, when we come and we take communion together, a lot of times we have no idea what we're doing. We're just doing it because it's something that we've always done. It's, it's something that we as believers are told to do. And so we just do that. But uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now we all know about the Corinthian church and how screwed up they were and they were just crazy and all kind of out the window and stuff like that. And um, Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. So Paul's given them instructions concerning communion. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, look at this, I hear that divisions exist among you and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are among, who are approved may become evident among you. Kind of the wheat and the tares thing, right? They grow up and by your fruits, Jesus said, they'll know you. And that's the thing. We as believers, um, I mean, what we look for, what we should look for in leaders should be fruitfulness, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be their eloquence. It shouldn't be their gift to teach. It shouldn't be
3: how anything. How short they teach or how short they teach. Or... Yeah,
0: it shouldn't be the, the church building. It shouldn't be anything. It should be upon, does this man have the fruit of God in him? Mm-hmm. Does he have the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And I've I've known lots of preachers, man. I've known people that, preachers that are gifted. I mean gifted. That knew scriptures backwards and forward. That could just rattle off scripture after scripture. That were so, so yeah. powerful in the word. And yet they treated their wives like crap.
1: Yeah,
0: Right? Yeah. Or they treated their congregation
1: yeah.
0: like that. Yeah. Or like the people that worked for them. The people that, you know, worked under their ministry they were just stepping stones for that person to get to higher and higher Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that Mm -hmm. and so again what we should be looking for in in a man or a woman of god is does this person bear fruit Mm um in verse verse 19 or verse 20 Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another's drunk. I mean, imagine this. During communion, people are just picking out, and they're not making sure that everybody gets fed, and some of them are actually drunk. Verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one's hungry and another's drunk. What, do you not houses have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those, those who have nothing? What will I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered from you, that which the Lord, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given, he gave thanks. We all know that part. Um, verse 20, verse 20, 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. <clears throat> But if we judge ourselves rightly, then we will not be judged. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And the thing is, is the whole thing about communion is that it's communion. And what happens is a lot of times, I might be fighting with my brother who's sitting right beside me. I may hate his guts, and yet I'm sitting there taking communion right along beside him. And God sees that mm-hmm. and God knows that. And how can we call that communion? Because that's the whole thing about communion. And when we take communion together, we are taking communion with the Lord in the presence of the Lord with one another. I think about the communion. I would love to see a communion in a, in a house church in China.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Those people would lay down their lives for each other. Those people don't have petty differences with each other. Those people don't secretly hate their brother behind their back and talk behind their backs and, and and love them to their face and stab them in the back when they're turned around. Those people love each other. They understand what communion is. And so when we read this, We're reading about a bunch of people that had no conception what communion was. Just like we read in James, they they were wanting things for their own pleasures, their own self, and at the heart of everything was me. And that's the way these guys are doing too. The communion is all about me. It's not about you, it's about me. And that's the whole thing with communion. It's like you're laying down your life. This communion that you're taking means that This life that you're living, this walk that you're walking, is not about you. It's about your brothers and your sisters, and it's about you laying your life down for them and not uh, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, but you serving them. And if there's a Christianity like that in this world, believe me, the world will notice it. The powers of darkness will notice it, you know, and it will affect change. Um. turn to John chapter 13 and you know and this is the thing that we are tempted with ourselves I mean we're always tempted with these things and but if we know the thing that we're fighting against That's where we start to get victory, right? You can't overcome something that you don't realize or that you don't think about or that you don't address. You have to address something to be able to fight it and to overcome it. And when we as believers see that my fight is not with you, my struggle is not against flesh and blood, My struggle is against principalities and powers and darkness and wickedness in heavenly places. And when we begin to focus our attentions on fighting against them instead of fighting with each other, then the church is going to be powerful. Then that's where God will command a blessing. Then that's where we're going to see change affected in in this world that we live in. In John 13 verse um, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you also love one another. So the standard is not I love you how my dad loved me or I love you how, you know, my best friend loved me. The standard is not that. The standard is uh, the commandment that that I give you is that you love one another even as I have loved you. In the same way that we want God to love us, That's the same way God wants us to love other people. In verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's the mark of the church is that we have love for one another. And I'm not talking about a love that just kind of is wishy-washy and never, never says, you know what, you're wrong here. But what I am talking about is a love that will agree to disagree right? A love that will say, you know what? Even though I don't agree with you there, I love you and I don't care, you know, um, because we're, we're, we're always, we're always going to have differences. We're always, the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. If we allow it to be, that can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. But the problem is again, we come up with that first spark and we're like, I'm out of here. I'm not putting up with this. I don't have to put up with this. I have my rights. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so again, we're all it's all about me. It's all about me. And the cross of Jesus is about putting me to death. Because that's the thing that needs to die. The thing that needs to die is not my temper, not my porn addiction, not my wife beating, not my hatred of of black people. The thing that needs to die is I love me more than all of that. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. And once I lose that love of me, then everything else will fall into place. Amen. Because that's the root of all of it. Why do you fight and quarrel because of your lusts that wage war within you? Why, why is there so much hatred in the world today because I'm not getting what I want to satisfy me? Right? And that's the thing. What will we separate from brothers over? Will we, will we separate because you know, of differences in doctrine? Will we separate? I mean, you see it all the time. We've, we've seen so many people just fall away, can't can't be with other brothers, can't be because they offended me or, you know, they did something. And, you know, and and again, a lot of times what happens when I get offended, we don't go through the right channels. We don't go to that person and say, you know what, the thing that you did hurt my feelings. That was not right, you know, and we don't talk things out. We just, we blow up. And so um, hopefully the church will begin to wise up and see that this is where a fight is. And this is the number one, I think, besides sin, the obvious stuff. Mm-hmm. This is where Satan, and this, and that's what happens too, guys, is when, you, when, when there is a fellowship that is following God. And I saw, I've seen that happen at DFH. When, when, there, when there are people, when there are a group of people following God, the enemy will always come in with strife, always, 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 every single time because he's going to try to stop the community. He's going to try to stop the unity. He's going to try to stop the common purpose because when you have a common purpose and a common goal, then the enemy is afraid.